Welcome to the Grassroots Podcast, a platform for agricultural producers to share their stories and engage with consumers. We are your hosts, Aaron and Laura. Today, we are going to pick up where we left off. If you have not listened to part one of the Utah Department of Agriculture and Food, might I suggest you go back and listen to that first, because today is part two. You will be hearing the rest of my interview with Leanne Hunting, Director of Animal Industry at the Utah Department of Agriculture and Food, and Dr. Dean Taylor, the State Veterinarian. Their interviews are a lot of fun, filled with a lot of passion, and I can't wait to finish this one out. Dr. Taylor and Leanne, in your position, I'm sure you hear a lot about how the public feel like Utah's farmers and ranchers are doing as a whole. I would like you to talk about some of those um, complaints that you hear and what your answers are for them and how are we doing as producers in the state? We, uh, we are good stewards of the land and the animals. And that is another misconception I hear is that agriculture wastes resources like water and good soil. And I would say that that can't be further from the tr truth either. We have to make our, our ends meet, our budget work out at the end of the year. We live off of maybe two paychecks a year and have to stretch that money. And so uh, we pay for all of those things and it, we can't be wasteful with our resources. We need them to to supply our income. We make sure that we have the most innovative, most efficient uh, ways of using our water resources. We obviously don't waste gas. If you've ever talked to a farmer or rancher, they're utilizing things like horses so that you don't have to use more fuel than is necessary. And uh, our tractors have GPSs so that we're not going over the land and wasting that diesel any more than we have to. So um, we are great stewards of our land and animals. We take better care of it than anyone else. So Dr. Taylor, can you tell me what are some of the big health concerns in our state right now with animal welfare? Is there, um, I mean, I know that in the news, as far as health of humans, you know, you hear all the time about these massive outbreaks, things like coronavirus or when there was SARS. I mean, it makes national headlines, but are there similar things that as a state vet you're made aware of that go around as far as animal health and we just don't hear about it? Or do animals not have the same type of, of health concerns, I guess, is my question. Sure, certainly there's things going um, all the time through, through the world, the country, and through the state as well. And really the only thing that the public is generally made aware of are those things that have that are newsworthy so um, as soon as it's not in the news they just think that it doesn't exist any longer and I kind of struggled this with this when I was in private practice when West Nile first hit the United States and we watched that travel west um, everybody was aware of it everybody did the things that they needed to but as that died down in the news media, then people seem to think that that disappeared. 
and that isn't the case. We're constantly watching for these diseases and making sure that they don't impact our animals because they certainly have an impact on welfare of these animals. The other thing that has an impact on the welfare situation with animals in the state is just kind of the changing philosophy of people. Some of the things our producers face with that currently that they're dealing with is uh, the philosophy of, of natural, for lack of a better word. Anything that's natural is wholesome. So they're balancing, our producers are balancing these current philosophies with day-to-day -day production methods. Um, the wise producers will pay attention to the fact that that's the changing philosophy out there, but then they have to make choices, and sometimes these choices impact the animals as well. So, for example, you, you've got non-GMO, which is you know genetically modified organisms. You've got antibiotic-free, you've got free range, and all these things that have good intents don't sometimes create problems for us. For example, if they're antibiotic-free, and you get some disease rolling through a cattle herd or through a poultry barn, then what do you do to treat those animals? How do you help those animals to recover? So they're facing these issues all the time. And to piggyback on something Leanne said, ranchers and producers are not, it's not just their commodity. If you've ever worked around these people, they'll stay up all night for that calf. And it's not just one or two of the producers. All of them will sit up there to save that one individual. So they, they really are engaged and most of them love these animals like you love your children. So you brought up the use of antibiotics. Uh-huh. Um, resistance and to antibiotics and superbugs and all of those things are something that we hear about in our own news, but can you talk to me about how that's an issue in animal welfare and what's being done to combat that as well? So Erin, I'm gonna jump in from my perspective and then turn it over to Dr. Taylor. A lot of times it's uh, basically a marketing, um, marketing ploy to advertise antibiotic-free, hormone-free, and the truth is any product that you ever eat is hormone-free and antibiotic-free. It's Those things are administered to the live animal that processes it just like you do when you receive a shot, but the final product cannot have traces of uh, antibiotics in it before you consume it. So when you're purchasing or paying more for a product that says antibiotic-free or hormone-free, the reason why that product is more is because more of those animals have died to produce that product. Um, when you have an, a, a group of birds that you're letting be free range and, and antibiotic free, they're in worse health conditions than those animals who have received antibiotics. So they lose more numbers, which means their prices have to increase to consumers. Um, but any product that you eat, that you pick up in the grocery store, doesn't have traces of those in the product. It's all about the live animal and helping the health of the live animal continue. Yeah, so, um, yeah, unfortunately, some of the regulations just mean that antibiotic-free means you can't ever give it to them. But what Leanne was just talking about is that we have things in place that every, every tank of milk is tested for antibiotics. Um, if not, if they got penicillin in there, for example, I'm allergic to penicillin. 
And that would be very bad to have traces of penicillin in the milk when I bought a gallon of milk or a tub of ice cream. To have penicillin in there could put my health at risk. It doesn't make penicillin bad. I've used penicillin my entire career to help the, an animal recover from an infection, and I've just used it judiciously. And I think that's probably what she's um, getting at is that the use of antibiotics just has to be regulated and it has to be done wisely. Now, as far as the antibiotic resistance, I don't think we've always been good stewards of antibiotic use. I think that veterinarians, producers, um, farm stores, everybody bears responsibility in this because for a long time, um, well, all throughout my career, I would have people walk in and say, hey doc, I need a bottle of penicillin or I need a bottle of sulfa tablets. And I hadn't seen anything on their farm. I didn't know anything about it. As a veterinarian, I know that most of these diseases are virally caused initially. Some of them progress to the point where they need some antibiotics. And that's, those are the cases where if you have a complete ban on antibiotics, you're, you're gonna lose some of those animals. You're gonna lose uh, overall health of that animal at the very least. But um, I think what we need to get to is the point where there's a reason for the use of antibiotics because certainly we do have some big uh, bugs that are now resistant to everything and we face this in hospitals. I have seen it firsthand in my practice for 25 years, uh, antibiotics that would clear up a pneumonia uh, earlier on, they don't even touch it nowadays. So. I think we have to look at these antibiotics and realize that they're nothing to be afraid of, but we've got to understand when we need to use those and use them appropriately. So Dr. Taylor, what's being done? Have you seen improvements made recently? Is there still a lot of work to do or what's being done to help improve that responsible use of antibiotics? Okay, so there's a couple things being done. I think that, um, you know, and I'll, I'll pick on my myself and my own my own career here, I think for starters, I think veterinarians have to take responsibility and say, you know what, when somebody walks in, if you haven't seen or know anything about that, that animal, to just hand them a bottle of antibiotics is not wise. Now, does that mean that I need to go walk through every herd, every cow in the herd and do a personal exam on every animal in a herd? Absolutely not but we need to be aware of what we're dispensing it for. And then the, the second thing is the, you know, the FDA is working on trying to get all of the antibiotics labeled as prescription only. And this probably puts some of the producers on edge a little bit, but I, I hope they understand that doesn't mean out of the farm stores. Um, a prescription means that you have a relationship with the veterinarian that is overseeing your herd and your, your uh, herd health program. And so that they are able to write you those prescriptions and then get those done, get the correct antibiotic because I'll give you an example, sulfa tablets. When I first started my career 30 years ago, uh, trimethoprim sulfa was a pretty good antibiotic with most of the respiratory infections I've treated in, in current years, it hasn't, it won't even touch them and in fact, if a client takes and throws them on that for five or six days, and then I come in and try to treat it after, it will be a longer period of time trying to get that done. So the FDA is working on that. It's probably gonna 
be um, met with a little bit of opposition. Um, the other thing that the FDA has done is the veterinary feed directive where they um, have to have a prescription to add any feed to, or excuse me, any antibiotics to the feeds. Um, what we're doing here, Dr. Price, um, she is hosting an antimicrobial stewardship conference or is helping Utah to be a host of this conference. And it's a, a conference where the dairy producers and veterinarians from around the Intermountain area here will get on and discuss antibiotic resistance and judicious use of those antibiotics. So I think the fact that both consumers and veterinarians and physicians were all aware of the fact that we, we need to tighten up the ship on this. What I'm hoping is that people don't interpret that as antibiotics are bad. There is a place for antibiotics. They need to be used uh, to maintain the health of our animals and ourselves. We just need to use them appropriately. This episode is brought to you by the Utah Farm Bureau Federation, whose motto is to inspire all Utah families to connect, succeed, and grow through the miracle of agriculture. For more information, visit www.utahfarmbureau.org. Thank you, um, both of you, for your different perspectives, because I thought that was perfect. Because Leanne, I um, this is a podcast, so nobody could see, but I was like jumping up and down as you were talking about um, how antibiotic free or free range or all of these things are not necessarily the benefit of the animal. And that, um, because I have spoken now to, to you who is over the livestock division and an expert in that field and the state veterinarian is on this call with us right now. I have talked to a nutritionist in the animal industry. I have talked to a dairyman and all of them have spoken to me about how their products are tested before they ever hit the market and how they know that they're, that they're safe for consumers. In fact, the dairyman told me should his milk be tested positive for an antibiotic, they not only um, dump that tank of milk and he doesn't get paid, but he has to pay for any other dairyman's milk that was in that load. So people are, like our producers are aware of, of the consumer's need for safety and they're, they're taking these steps to be safe. And when you were talking about the hormones, the nutritionist brought up an interesting fact that white bread that you buy in the store has way more um, hormones found in it than even beef treated with a hormone supplement. And so there's a lot of things that people just don't understand. So thank you both so much. That was perfect. Those are perfect answers. I appreciate that. Can I throw one, one more comment? This is just sort of related to this. Yes. A lot of times people, these same people that are so opposed to anything in their meat um, are out taking a million supplements under the, under the understanding that, well, it, because they market those as natural. And this is part of the problem with, with all of these marketing deals for uh, producers. They think that if they say it's natural or it's herbal, that it's safe. And that is, couldn't be further from the truth there are many of those products that those people would just as quickly toss into their bodies and walk away from very healthy beef that has nothing in it that we've tested and, and they think nothing of that. So a lot of this is just the terminology and kind of the, 
the misunderstanding that they have. Thank you both. I appreciate both of those perspectives. Erin, so, I have, yes, I have um, as we talk about these different marketing techniques that they that we see every day concerning agricultural products, one that I get quite a kick out of is gluten and how um, people who don't understand what gluten is are going out of their way, spent, spending more money on products that advertise gluten-free when they, they're not even quite sure why they need a gluten-free product. They just see everyone they follow on social media eating gluten-free. Okay, so since we've talked a lot about different misconceptions, different things that, that you hear, um, we're gonna flip the tables a little bit. And if there is anything, like if there was one thing that you, Leanne, and you, Dr. Taylor, could say and know that it would be heard and understood by all consumers, like if you got to pick that one thing, what would it be? The one thing that I would like consumers to understand is how um, agricultural producers are producing more with less every single day. So I had somebody tell me, well, farmers and ranchers uh, are only 2% of the population. I don't know why we're always so worried. It's not like it's the majority of the population here. And I thought they don't understand that that 2% of the population feeds 100% of the world. And even here in this, in this state, in Utah, um, people kind of have that opinion. Well, we should build more houses on farms because, you know, that, that's kind of a dying industry anyway. It's time for them to, to get with the real world, get with technology. And I think they have no idea that because of that field, that's why they have that loaf of bread in their home. Um, and so if I could educate consumers about anything is that even though it is a small portion of our overall population, it is the most important 2% in this world. They, you cannot live without agriculture. You cannot feed yourself. And the fact that, that this state of Utah, um, that we're moving toward being independent, that we could feed all, our entire population based on the products we produce in this state, I think that's a very noble goal and one that I hope we attain because the quickest way to impact any kind of decision, whether it's policy related or not, is to cut off someone's food source. When you're hungry, you can't do, think of anything else but where your next meal is going to come from. So I think it's a noble goal that the governor set that we become an independent state um, as far as food production is, is concerned. And I, I hope that consumers remember that that field that they pass, that open space, is the reason why they're able to drink the milk that they have or eat the cookies they're enjoying it's because of that small two percent that the hundred percent are able to go to bed at night with something in their stomach great thank you dr taylor i think i would like if there was one thing that i could get the public to understand i would like them to understand who these who these ranchers and farmers are uh, these producers work hard every single day to produce the food for our country and for the world and it really is never in their best interest to provide less than the best care that they can for their animals. If they do, it shows up as a loss when they go to sell their product. Um, I wish if, if people couldn't understand the method that they would get educated instead of judging. They work 365 days a year doing their job. That includes Christmas. If you're a dairyman, you're going to milk your cows at least twice a day, every single day. 
So on those days when we are taking a vacation with our families or we're sleeping in, uh, understand that these people are not doing that. They, are, they love the land, they love the, the animals that they care for, and they do the very best job they can. And I believe strongly that they produce the best product that's out there. And a lot of the things that people latch onto don't have any basis for it. It's just, it's just something that's been out in the media and they talk about it and pretty soon that becomes reality to them. But antibiotic free is one of those things where if they would ask, they would find out that all of the meat is tested. Um, any meat that comes through a packing plant, if there's any indication that that animal has been sick uh, or a bruise from an injection in the muscle, uh, that, that meat is tested, and if it tests positive for any antibiotics, it's discarded. Same with the milk tank. So if they would understand that these people who are raising this food for us, that it is their livelihood, it's their love, uh, and they dedicate their whole life to it. Um, I just thought of a question. As you were talking about social media, Dr. Taylor, and, and as people see it or um, see something and it becomes truth to them. It reminded me of an incident that I had and I'm not an expert on it, but both of you, I think would be great to ask this question. Um, I had a friend put out there that she had concerns that food safety, um, in America is just, is subpar. And I don't remember the exact incident that she was referencing, but she shared an article and was just stating how, um, you know, we're, we're at risk. And I stated back to her that I actually feel like our food safety standard in this country is very high and I have a lot of peace of mind. So can both of you really quick, and I know I didn't ask you this question beforehand, but tell me like how secure are both of you in your roles with how, what we consume is safe to eat in this country? Like, are we, are we really good or is there room for improvement? Because I know I personally, I feel good. When I go to the store and buy something, I go home and I eat it and I don't think anything else about it. But maybe, maybe I'm, maybe she was right. So I wanna ask you two what your take on that is. No, I would say the United States of America produces the safest food in the world. The products on our shelf, even if they're imported from other countries, are safer than anywhere else in this world. I, and I will back that all day long. As I travel around and, and join our inspectors when they're um, doing inspections in slaughter or processing facilities, those facilities are so clean, I would eat off the ground. And that is not an exaggeration. Anyone is welcome to reach out to me anytime and I will take them into those facilities so they can personally see how those products are handled. But aside from that, even the food that you eat has gone through so many reviews, so much testing, that you are more safe consuming products here in the United States and here in Utah than you would be anywhere else in the world. So when I uh, took the position as a state veterinarian, one of the things that I was really not prepared for was the amount of my time that would be spent with uh, meat inspection. And I've been out to these plants that Leanne's talking about, and there are very, very strict guidelines that uh, the, the USDA and FSIS have got in place for, for meat inspection. Nothing's gonna get through there that um, 
that is unhealthy. I mean, there, there are very few, if you look at the number of outbreaks um, that are food related, they, they can trace to a lot of things and rarely is it gonna be back into their meat. Now, obviously there are always gonna be exceptions to that, but they, they are very, very critical of what that meat is to make that pass inspection. Great, well, thank you both so much. Is there anything that I didn't ask about because you know, I just didn't think to ask it that you're like, I wanted, I want a chance to say that. Is it, I, there may not be, but is there anything else that either of you has that you'd like to say? I just think that we are so blessed to live in this great state of Utah. We have um, all kinds of diverse places to visit. Our public land access is unique. We have a great agricultural industry with a strong voice when it comes to policy. Um, and we really care about serving our producers here at the Department of Agriculture. We are service industry first with regulatory responsibility second. And um, I am I am extremely hopeful and, and filled with uh, gratitude for the direction that our industry is going and for the, the way that we are handling agriculture in our state. Thanks for listening to the Grassroots Podcast. If you loved the show, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend and we will see you next time.